0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Great job, Emily. Uh, Yeah, we're gonna start a new sermon series this morning and for the next five weeks called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's sort of a tie-in to some of the things that we've been talking about already for the last four weeks. I've been talking to you about integrity, character, and goodness. And in some ways, this is just a deeper dive in a much more specific way on that same subject. And we're gonna learn some new language and hopefully some new skills when it comes to growing. Uh, But before we get into that, I just wanna say to the church, uh, you guys have done such a good job of caring for people lately. Like I told you guys like four or five weeks ago that this was the most insane season of, that I've ever seen in the history of church in terms of like trauma, really bad things happening to people at church, like really, uh, you know, from garden variety difficulty all the way up to how did that happen, you know? And uh, the church has cared for people, like not, not metaphorically, but actually cared for people. You guys have made dinners, you've bought Kroger cards, you've called, you've texted, you've run errands, you've picked up things. And I just want to say this, this is what it means to be the church. And I am so happy that there is some part of Jesus that is alive and well in us. And I'm just, that's just a great thing. So, you know, high five to you. And I also just want to say to anybody who's in the room or maybe watching, like here's a reason to be a part of a church. Number one, I think Jesus is real. If you throw Jesus out, if you threw everything out, here's one. Here's one really good reason to be a part of the church. When you turn 70, who will take care of you? If, if when you're 45 and you fall on t- hard times, who will help put your life back together? I'm telling you, it's people who are here. It is people here. And by the way, that doesn't happen if you're here for a year. It probably takes five years. Because it'll take about five years for you to know people and for them to know you. But if you will come to church and be a part, there will be people who who will surround you. It absolutely is real. So I just want to say, that's my commercial. It's a good commercial, I'm telling you. I mean, it's just real. And there's Jesus. I just want to tell you about him. I want to tell you about him too. All right. Hey, uh, this is what I want to do this morning. Uh, we're going to kick off this sermon series and it's sort of like an intro, but before we do that, uh, who, who here has bought the book already? It's on the way. It's on the way. Good. Uh, actually, put your hands up real tall. Who's bought the book? Good, 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 good. Who has not bought the book? <laughs> who has not bought? Look at this. Okay. You got to buy the book. Who, who would like to have a, a copy of the book this morning? one over here. Ray, I'm not giving you one, dude. You have a million books. <laughs> hey, Seth, come here, buddy. Come on. Everybody, everybody say what up, Seth. <laughs> Seth, how long you've been coming to the vineyard? Uh, 2008. Yeah, forever and a day. That's how long. Yeah, yeah come on. Seth gets that. You've been, you've been here since 2008. You get a book. Um, <laughs> who else needs a book? Rick, come on. Rick, how long have you been coming to the vineyard? <laughs> forever. forever. You, if you come here forever, you get a book. <laughs> There you go. Everybody say what up to Rick. Okay. All right. Hey, this is what I want to do this morning. This is, this is going to be just sort of an intro message. And I'll just tell you, it's a bit of a departure from the normal things that I have to share here. In fact, the next five weeks will be sort of a departure from the things that I normally share. And this morning in particular is sort of a departure. And what I mean by that is this, I'm normally more of a storytelling preacher. That's like, if I'm in my sweet spot, what I'm doing with you guys is I'm, is I'm telling you a few stories, and then at the end, I want to tell you the good news, right? And I, that's kind of like, and there's all kinds of ways to do that, but that's who I am. And, and sometimes the stories are decent, you know? Right. That's, and sometimes, sometimes they're even funny. Who knows? Right. But that's like my sweet spot. But that's not what I'm going to do today. In fact, I'm going to switch over into more like presenting slash teaching mode. Is that okay? So I just need you to give me a little permission here this morning. Uh, And I also want to say this morning as we just kind of open up some new ideas here that I'm following the book very, very closely in this intro message because I think in the first couple chapters, there's just some stuff we need to get, right? So if you're wondering what this message is, uh, this is really not me being all that extemporaneous. This is not me sharing my own deep insights. This is me sticking really close to the book. So I'd encourage you to get the book and read it because it really fleshes this out. So uh, here's what I want to start with this morning. I want to talk to you about emotionally healthy spirituality. And I want to start here. Um, I want to start with this idea. Number one, it's impossible to be spiritually mature and to be emotionally immature. Let Let me just say that again. It is impossible to be spiritually mature, but be emotionally immature. And some of us in the room are like, well, yeah, duh. Duh. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to some of us, but I need to unpack this a little bit because underneath the surface, maybe it doesn't make so much sense. So let me say it this way. Um, You can come to church for years. Every Sunday, never miss a Sunday. You could come to church for years and still remain emotionally immature. You can read your Bible every day. You could you could memorize the book of Romans from start to. To finish and remain emotionally immature. You could go to a conference and you could get profoundly touched by the Holy Spirit at the conference and remain emotionally immature. Now, let me tell you another real kick in the head here. If you go to a conference and you get really touched by the message or the Holy Spirit or the community, uh, not only is it possible that you could remain emotionally immature. It's also possible that our experiences with God, especially mountaintop experiences with God, they actually reinforce us from becoming emotionally immature. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Sometimes sometimes our approach to our spirituality, whether it's our Bible reading, coming to church, prayer, or maybe it's a profound experience with God uh, at church on a Sunday morning or at a conference, those very experiences can negatively reinforce us from becoming emotionally emotionally mature because in doing all of these things or having these experiences, we assume we're okay. Like God can actually do something in your life. Like God can reveal his kindness to you. You can feel his mercy. You can feel his forgiveness and still be an angry person. You can read your Bible every day and still be conflict avoidant. Like, so one of the things we have to, that we're gonna learn in the next five weeks is uh, avoiding conflict, avoid, 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 avoid. That is emotionally immature. Like, we have to grow here. So, it's impossible to be spiritually mature, but emotionally immature. God wants to move us in our hearts. Um, second thing I wanna to say to you is this. Pain is a great motivator. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Pain is just a terrific motivator. I also want to say this, uh, pain's not the only motivator. There's, there are other motivations that exist when it comes to having a, a desire to change. Uh, one of them is something I've been sharing with you for the last four or five weeks. It's just having a vision for your life to be something different. That's the, the kind of the, the thing I've been trying to share for the last four weeks when it comes to character, integrity, and goodness. Like, How does that happen? Well, part of the way that happens is well, you actually have to have a vision for your life to be something different. You know, um, one of the things I've been saying to you for the last four weeks is no one accidentally becomes like Jesus. You don't just live your life and then accidentally, beca- it's like, even if you're a Christian, you know, and even if a guru prays for you, you won't accidentally become like Jesus. It takes some intention. And so one way of change and, and one way of seeing things move in our life actually comes from just having a vision for it. But, but it's you know, that's actually pretty rare. Most of us change because of pain. When, when the pain of changing eclipses the pain of staying the same, then we will change. And I just want to tell you, that's been so true of my life. I'm telling you one quick story here. About a decade ago, about a decade ago, uh, pain, the pain level in my life went up. And by the way, we're all experiencing this kind of thing. Like anxiety comes in our life and it can inflict certain kinds of pain. there's always various forms of pain. But about a a decade ago, I I got into a spot where I was experiencing tremendous internal pressure and tremendous internal pain. And it got to the point where I uh, made an appointment with a therapist. And so uh, I I went out of town because I didn't want to talk to anybody here. And I went, I went to this counselor, and I sat down with this person, and they said, well, why are you here? And so I explained why I'm here. And the therapist said to me, this is amazing. And I'm like, what? He goes, oh, good news, you're in a double bind. And I said, what? He says, uh, the situation you're in right now is lose-lose. Does that, does that feel real to you? And I'm like, yes, very real. He goes, uh, now, now we've figured out why you're here. He goes, this is the pain that moved you to come here, right? Right? And so uh, we, we spent about three months basically just exploring all of the different ways in which I might lose, right? There, was, there were some decisions on the horizon and it, it didn't matter. Like I could not make a decision and it's incredibly painful, or I could make a decision and it's going to be very, very painful. And this, this person helped me realize, oh, that's just a double bind. Uh, it's lose, lose. And, and he told me a couple of things. He said, number one, when you're in a double bind, the best thing to do is... Uh, uh, go ahead and lose quickly. And he says there's two, two things, two things here. Number one, uh, figure out a way to lose quickly because he, uh, he says, uh, he said to me, he said, Adam, uh, if you're going to lose anyway, you may as well lose quickly. Why, why carry the emotional torment for another six months? Right? Like why carry And then he said, also, he says, if you choose which way you want to lose, then you're empowering your own agency. Because in the end, the choice will be made for you. And that hurts even worse. And so uh, this is one of those just little moments. And so I was like, okay, I uh, needed somebody to help me just see this and to go. Mostly what I needed is somebody to go, you're not crazy, right? It, this hurts for a reason. And then I uh, got a little courage and made some decisions and they were, they were really painful. And then afterwards, um, like maybe a year later, it got a, it got a lot better. But I'm telling you that story because it's just another example of like, when it comes to maturing, especially emotionally, 99% of the time, the thing that will cause you to grow is pain. And our culture is pain avoidant. Our culture does everything it can to avoid pain. Like, I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram. Anybody here know anything about the Enneagram? I think most of us do. If you don't, it's fine. It's a thing. You can look at it later. I'll mention it uh, one more time before this sermon is over, but uh, there's an Enneagram type called uh, the seven. It's like the enthusiast, you know, but the shadow side of the seven is pain avoidance, right? Sevens want to have a good time and, and that's what they lean into, right? The things that sevens don't want to do is experience any pain. American culture is, is, is enthusiast seven all the way. Like our current American culture, is just pain avoid, pain avoid. And what that means is we're very immature, like, as people, as a culture, and as a country, we're emotionally tremendously immature. Why? Because we just avoid pain. So what am I telling you right now? Pain is a signal from the Holy Spirit that he wants you to grow. Don't run from pain. Uh, stop. And if, even if you can't move toward the pain, first, just stop, right? And, and face the pain. And then if you need to, get a person or two around you to help you face the pain and move toward it, because that's where your growth will come. How many of you have ever gone to the gym? Anybody ever go, Like, I started the gym, you know? What's the first thing that happens when you go to the gym? It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Like, that's just what happens, right? And, and, and the pain is not a signal that something's wrong. The pain is a signal you're going in the right direction. Same thing emotionally as well. Move toward the pain. Okay, when we move toward the pain, especially when it relates to our emotions, um, part of what happens there is we begin to respect our full humanity. Uh, Part of becoming mature is to actually take our full humanity Seriously, I, I just want to list some of the parts that make up who we are. Uh, you know, we're, we're physical beings. Uh, we're spiritual beings. We're intellectual. We're social. We're emotional. And all of these areas of our life, they grow. And here's what's weird. Like, everybody in here has grown physically, and you haven't really thought about it, right? Like, you just grow up. Like, you're just this little eight-pound, eight-ounce baby, you know, in your mama's arms. And then you just grow. And you don't even think about it. And now here you are. You're like, you're big people, you know? <laughs> we're all here together. And, and if you go to school, if you go to school, you grow intellectually, you know? Even if you're like, I hate school and I hate books and I hate math, you know? Eventually you get through 12th grade. And even if you're not the smartest guy, you know, you're smarter than you were. There's all this growth that happens, right? But here's what's weird. Like emotionally, we can get stuck. You know, we can get really, really stuck. But God wants us to respect our full humanity and actually lean into seeing our emotions grow. Um, Reese, I just want to put up Genesis chapter 127. This is, this is just a, a little scripture from the beginning of Genesis, and it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. You might just want to like underline that. What does it mean to respect our full humanity? It means to respect the fact that human beings have been made in the image of God. And part of what it means for us to to own the image of God in our lives is to see ourselves grow, not just physically and intellectually and socially, but to see ourselves grow emotionally. And I don't know if you know this or not, but um, one of the reasons we'd wanna do this is because the God of the Bible actually has emotions. Like you have emotions because the God of the Bible has emotions. I just wanna put a few scriptures up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. God made all kinds of wild animals. Look at the bottom there. And what did he see? Saw that it was good. When when the Bible says that God saw that everything that he made was good, uh, is it not highlighting that God is taking delight? God is someone who delights, right? God has emotions. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. God says this, you must not bow down. He's talking to his people. You must not bow down or worship them. Look at what he says for I, the Lord, your God, am what? I'm jealous. Like, I don't, I don't want my people like worshiping some other false God. Why? Because I'm a jealous God. He can take the light. He's also jealous, especially for his people. I'll just throw one more up here because this is from the gospels. Matthew chapter 26, 37 through 38. There we go. This is Jesus. And uh, Jesus is in a tough spot here. He's about to be crucified. And it says this, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Like, why is it, why is it that we have emotions? It's because the God of the Bible has emotions and especially Jesus. Like Jesus was a fully orbed person. He was actually a man, and he lived in his emotions, and he did it really, really well, and God wants to do the same thing. God wants to grow us in our emotions, and in order to grow in maturity, we actually have to recognize and attend to what's happening on the inside of us. Many, many people in the room this morning, we experience emotions, but we're very, we're very unaware and, and unable to name what's happening. We can feel things, but we can't name it. And one of the things that God wants to do is not just have us feel things, but he wants us to be aware of what's happening, able to name it, and then connect it to why it's at. Where is this coming from, right? Okay, I want to put up a chart that's really fun. Top 10, sim- top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So here's five. Number one, using God to run from God. Number two, ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. Uh, that one's really, really big, especially with like, uh, like the positivity Christianity that you fi- find on Instagram. It's all about burying your anger, sadness, and fear. Like never, like never just pretend, you know? Number three, dying to the wrong things. Uh, Number four, denying the impact of the past on the present. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Number six, doing for God instead. So you start doing instead, it's huge. It'll kill you. Doing for God instead of being with God. Spiritualizing away conflict. Oof. Covering over our brokenness, weakness, and failure. Number nine, living without limits. Number 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. Okay, I just want to unpack three of these really quickly. Three of these really quickly. I want to talk to you really quickly about using God to run from God. Uh, this is huge. Reese, you can just put up our title slide because people would just get lost there for a second. Uh, Number one, I want to talk to you about using God to run away from God. Uh, This is huge, especially with charismatics, because we can use God and we can use theology and we can use experience as a shield to actually keep us away from God. People do this all the time. Uh, What does this look like in our life? Well, it looks like maybe doing God's work to satisfy me or exaggerating accomplishments for God to subtly compete with others. Uh, it also looks like saying the Lord told me when the reality is, I think the Lord told me. Oh, right. Like the Lord told me, like there is nothing more abused in the charismatic church than the phrase God told me yeah. or, or God told me to tell you. Oh, <laughs> oh man. That's really, God told me to tell you you're marrying me. It's like he didn't tell me. Can you see how, how manipulative this is? Yeah. Not only can it be manipulative, but it can be a shield. It can be a shield. We can put this protective shield and it keeps us up. It keeps, it keeps us from actually coming into contact with the very things that God wants to do in our life or coming into contact in a real way with the people that God wants to use to change us. Now, let me give you another, another like little scenario of using God to to keep us from God. Um, Like maybe Maybe you get real into the Bible. And by the way, I suggest it. Like I like literally suggest reading the Bible. But maybe you get real into the Bible and you, you get real into prayer or you, you, you have some big moment with God and, and then you, you sort of become like strident, which means you just kind of have an edge and you're just real sure you, you know exactly what's happening, right? Because I've read the Bible. Like I've read Exodus, you know? Like I know about free. Don't talk to me about freedom. I know about freedom, Right. And you become sort of strident with your approach to your spiritual life. And, and maybe, maybe you're pretty confident in telling other people how it is. And then, and then maybe there's not much gray in your life. There's not much room for the questions of life. Like maybe you just have a lot of answers and everything has become very, very black and white. You know, and you've got Bible for every black and white thing in your life. And maybe after a season of that, like people are just like, I don't want to be around this person anymore. And then you realize, oh, I don't have—I don't really have any friends, you know, don't have many friends, and and in fact, like maybe you've made a lot of enemies, right? And then maybe maybe you still have one friend left, and they come to you and go, you know, I'm glad you got excited about the Bible and God and everything, but man, you just become—you've become like difficult. You've become really difficult, and instead of saying, "Wow," you know, wounds from a friend can be trusted. What you tell the person is. Well, I mean, Jesus promised me I'd be persecuted, right? Paul Paul says says anybody who wants to live a godly life is what? Going to have trouble, right? Uh, What is that? That's using God to keep you from God. And this is so common. Okay, let's let's move on here. Uh, Number two, I'm just going to do three out of that 10 real quick. Uh, Denying the impact of the past on the present. I just want to tell you, our histories and our families, it's still with us. <laughs> like, however you grew up and wherever you grew up, good, bad, or ugly, like, it's, it's with you. There are harmonic resonances that, that, that are just, that we just, man, we just perpetuating without even knowing it. And especially if you're here and you came from a family that was fairly unhealthy and there's trauma. Like, if you had an alcoholic dad If you had a mom who was sort of like bombed out of her mind on pills and and not present, if you had a brother who was nuts, if you had a family who would never talk about anything, if you had a family uh, that was not attending to one another, or, or maybe it wasn't sins of commission, maybe it's sins of omission, maybe you were just neglected. And I'm not even talking about latchkey kids, I'm talking about like like no one would even buy you clothes and there's really no food in the house. By the way, that's a really common story here in Taylor County, okay? Like like sins of omission. Maybe you, maybe you have no idea what is even right. I want to tell you that until you unpack those stories, they are with you today and you're living out of them. Why? It's the only thing you know. It's the only thing you know. How many of you ever like, went, went and spent the night with a friend and when you went and spent the night with a friend, you realized, oh, my, my family's crazy. Or my, fa- or, or my family's okay. These people are nuts, right? Yeah, we need those kinds of mirrors. But, but one of the things that we can do is we can just live in denial about how much the past is actually present with us right now. And we can even use Bible for it, right? We can just do 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm a new creation and none of that stuff is present with me now. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Like you are a new creation, but until we follow the Spirit Back to our family of origin, we will perpetuate the things that we learned. You know, the very thing that that most drives you crazy about your mom and dad will be the things that you do until you unpack it. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Okay. Hang with me. Hang with me. Uh, Number three, uh, spiritualizing away conflict. Uh, Here's what this means. Um, it, It means something like this. Like as Christians, we know we know that we're called to like grow the fruit of the spirit and we're, we're called to grow peace, you know? And, and, and how many of you know that like conflicts just, man, conflicts a part of life. Uh, one of my friends once said, and I thought this was so true. He, he once said, conflict is the price of community. Shout out John Mark. I, I thought that's, that's actually true. Like if you, if you live in community and if you have a family or if you have friends, if they're real friends, you'll eventually fight with them a little bit. And if you don't like the word fight, that's fine. You'll disagree. <laughs> you'll have disagreements. But some of us, some of us are so conflict avoidant, like so conflict. There, there tends to be two ditches here, either like profoundly conflict avoidant or like we just want to like we stuff, 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 blow up, Right right and we we don't really know how to like work things out with people or just be like hey the thing you said was just like i don't know that wasn't cool you know like you you can we not do that or whatever we don't know how to do that and not only are many of us conflict avoidant and a lot of times we're conflict avoidant because of the way that we grew up or like maybe we had a dad who yelled at us and like, we were just like, ah, but then we, when then we throw this spiritual blanket over it and it's almost like using God to keep us from God. Again, we go, you know, I'm a peacemaker. In fact, Jesus called me to be a peacemaker. Right. But here's the thing. Like if you read the gospels, everywhere Jesus went, he was in the middle of conflict. And by the way, Jesus usually is the one who started it. (laughs) Jesus would get up in church on the Sabbath and he'd say, uh, Hey, who hear, Who here is like lame? And he would heal people on the Sabbath knowing that people in the room would be angry with him, right? Yeah, conflict avoidance cannot be spiritualized away. Like some conflict in your life, you actually need to attend to by facing it, you know? Now, if we're just fighting all the time, that's, that's no good either. But if if we're never feeling like we can we can go straight to the things or say the things that need to be said or attend to the places where we seem to be missing one another emotionally, something's up. Okay, so what do we do? First steps. First steps, you have gotta know yourself. Uh, this means growing in our awareness of our own emotional field. Like not just unthinking feeling, but beginning to name what's happening in me. What, like what is it that, can you name what it is you're feeling? being able to understand our own emotional field and, and grow in an awareness, uh, grow an awareness of what they are, why they are and where they're coming from. Uh, this, is, this is one of those reasons why the Enneagram has been such a huge talking point in Christian circles for the last five years. Like, It just kind of helps give us a base understanding of maybe who we are and give us a few tools to talk about like how I experience life and it's the beginning of maybe just starting to know yourself a little bit. Like, how do we grow in emotional maturity? Number one, uh, start to know yourself. Start to pay attention to what's happening. Um, maybe, maybe do a little Enneagram research. Find out, like, what is your number, you know? Uh, not only that, but once you maybe kind of settle on something in the Enneagram that feels good to you, uh, look at your strengths, but then spend a lot of time looking at your shadow side because that's where the growth curve is. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 8. Uh, Enneagram 8s are challengers, uh, which means we have a high tolerance for conflict. Like, uh, it's not that we like conflict. It's just like, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers most people in here. Like, literally, just like, I can go to sleep. We can fight and I'll go to sleep. Like, you might stay up all night, I'm sleeping. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, that's, but the problem with Enneagram 8s is, uh, oh this is the other... The positive side of Enneagram 8 is, is we have tremendous energy to do, to do tasks and to do difficult things. Tremendous energy. The bad part is, is I can run over you and be completely unaware that you're in pain at all. Why? Because I'm just like, let's do it, right? Let's do it. The other bad part of Enneagram 8 is we cannot stand weakness. It makes us crazy, right? And literally, like weakness makes us crazy. We just, we sort of live with this idea. Everybody's a baby, Can I tell you something? Not everybody's a baby, (laughs) but, but seeing my shadow side and knowing that my internal wiring for all kinds of reasons, my internal wiring for all kinds of reasons makes me think that people are being weak. That's my growth edge, right? When Enneagram eights move into health, we move toward a two, which is we move towards helping and we move towards service. Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot there. So like, what do we do first steps when it comes to growing in emotional maturity? We have, to, we have to know something about ourselves. Like, where am I strong? But then where is my strength, my weakness? And then like, what am I feeling? And then why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And, and where did it come from? And where's it coming from? And why is it there? Like, one of the things you'll read when you do a little research in the Enneagram is like most people who are Enneagram 8s, uh, they're Enneagram 8s because they came from uh, there's some trauma in their life somewhere. And uh, one of the things you might need to do when you're learning about yourself is, is investigate some of that. Um, not, not only that, but Enneagram uh, 8s usually have some very strange inner vows that came from childhood. This took me six months to learn, okay? Literally took me six months of seeing a spiritual director to get to what is my inner vow. Finally, after six months, I realized my inner vow from childhood is no one will help me. Right. So what did I do? I built, I built shields in my life. I built shields of strength. I built shields of like internal fortitude and strength because what I've, what I've mostly believed my entire life is no one will help me, right? Um, now, once I know that, I know that that's not true. And what I do know is, is that God has surrounded me with lots of people who want to help me. And part of my work is to actually let people help me and to not think they're weak when they ask me for help, right? Does this make sense? Everybody has this work to do. It will help us grow in emotional maturity. I'd encourage you to begin to lean in to learning something about yourself. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, we don't have to put this up, but Paul says in Ephesians 4, um, long about verse 20, he says, take off the old self. And then in the next verse, he says, what? Put on the new self. yeah, what is he saying? Put on, put on who you really are. Who is, who, who is, who is that person? It's, it's you, it's you as, as your healed, uh, Jesus-perfected self. But one of the things we have to do is learn who we are, and somehow that helps us take off the old self. Like Part of what I'm learning in these last five years is I'm learning how to take off the idea that no one will help me. And I'm putting on the new self, which is people will help me. And I'm learning how to take off the old self, which is uh, people are mostly babies. And I'm learning how to put on the new self, which is maybe they just need help. And I can do it, right? That's what it means to begin to learn something about yourself. But it's impossible without self reflection. Without self reflection, we will simply be who someone else wants us to be either a person or a society or a community will be who culture says, will be who someone else says, or will be who our past has made us to be. Mm. Ignoring trauma and ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet God. One of the things we say here at the Vineyard is, God can't heal your fake life. He can only heal your real life. This requires self reflection. Okay, I wanna to talk to you about one more thing and then we're gonna wrap it up, okay? Um, I wanna to talk to you about differentiation. Everybody in the room say differentiation. differentiation. Big word, big word. Um, this, is, this is the step after you become a little bit aware of who you are. Like as we grow in self awareness, then we can begin to differentiate. And uh, here, here's what differentiation um, means. It has to do with identifying one's true self and and our real values and living out of that place. Like not living out of the, the old self that Paul wants us to take off, but living into our true self that he wants us to put on, our Christ perfected self, the one that we're being led into. Differentiation is living out of that person or identifying what are our real and actual core values and living into those, even if it disappoints some people. This is what differentiation means. Let me, give you, let me give you a couple more ways of thinking about differentiation. Um, being able to say what you see from where you sit. Okay, in any situation, a emotionally mature, differentiated person, whether it's like a family thing or a work thing or a church thing or a friend thing, an emotionally mature person can say what they see from where they sit. I know that seems really simple. Some of us in here, that even the thought of that makes us shake in our boots because we just mostly stuff. We mostly don't say what we see from where we sit, right? But but growing in emotional maturity means I get to say what I see from where I sit about the situation. So just imagine like Thanksgiving dinner and all the families there and your two crazy uncles and 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 maybe somebody shows up with some crazy opinions, right? And rather than just like, shoving more stuffing into your face when the one crazy uncle asks you, well, what do you think? You just look and without being super reactive, you're just like, well, this is, this is what I see from where I sit. And he goes, well, I think you're nuts. And you say, okay. Differentiation means I get to say what I see from where I sit. But here's what that also means. It means that everyone else in the room gets to say what they see from where they sit. Okay. Um, now, l- let me give you another way of thinking about differentiation. This came from some, some coaches I had last year who were just incredible. Um, uh, they put it this way, defined and connected. The defined part is I get, I get to say who I am. And this is why self-reflection is really important. You need to know who you are so you can say who you are. Right? Like, this is who I am. This is who God's made me to be. These are my values. This is my life mission. This is what I'm here for. Like, eventually, being a highly differentiated person means you actually need to dig into what am I here for? Like, with God on the earth. I'm talking like as big as you can make it, right? Like, you have to do some work, probably some inner work, probably some work on your past, probably some shadow work, probably with some people. You might even have to pay for it, right? And and this will help you define who you are. Right? And and so differentiation is being able to say who I am and what are my values, like what am I living for? And even if even if some other people are like, well, I don't I don't share those, I don't share those values or I don't I don't share that worldview, okay. But it's it's not just defined, but it's also connected. an an emotionally mature person can define themselves while staying connected to people who can also define themselves, right? So like, and a healthy family or a healthy church is a place where everybody in the room gets to define themselves, gets to say who they are, gets to say what they see from where they sit, and then also allows everyone else to say what they see from where they sit. And no matter what each of us say, We're going to stay connected rather than rather than all of us sharing who we are and some of us reacting because because maybe the truth of who we are raises the anxiety in the system. Uh, And what we want to do sometimes is once the anxiety comes up, we want to practice distance or cut off like there's probably people in this room that some of us have cut off emotionally. And I want to tell you, that's that's really that's really low on the emotional maturity. We should be able to give each other space to be who they are while we also get to be who we are, right? And I hope this goes without saying, I'm not talking about moments of like trauma here or abuse, right? There are reasons to actually set some harder and wider boundaries. But even in those cases, God will oftentimes require us to come back to some kind of connection. It might even just be a note or a letter. But defined and connected. God wants to grow us up in being able to say who we are so that we can say what we see from where we sit, at the same time giving that same permission to other people and then staying connected in the midst of it. If we can do those things, we're actually mature people. That's, that is what maturity is is. And by the way, Jesus did this all the time. I'll just tell you one more little story. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has just kicked off his ministry. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's like kicking out demons and he's like raising up people and he's like raising up lame guys. And it's pretty exciting, right? And, and I, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but when you read the Gospel of Mark, you kind of get this feeling like uh, everybody's super excited about Jesus, but his family's a little worried so they come to him and and Jesus is like having a meeting at somebody's house and it's packed because he's doing all this Jesus stuff. Right. And somebody says, Hey, Jesus, your mom and your family, they want to come talk to you. And rather than Jesus doing what his mom and family want to do, or even responding to them, Jesus turns and he says, my brothers and sisters are what those that do the will of my father. Right. And 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 he like just goes on with himself, and you kind of get this picture of like, Jesus is putting up some kind of. There's a there's several things going on here, right? Like, so number one, Jesus is saying this spirit thing we do, uh, it it connects us in a way that is even beyond like blood kin. Like to obey God is is a deeper connection than just who you were born to. But he's also doing this thing of he's saying uh, this is who I am. He's he's defining who he is, even if it disappoints his mother and brothers. But then if you go to the end of the gospel of John, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He looks at John and what does he say to him about his mother? Take care of my mom. So it wasn't as though in Mark chapter three, Jesus is saying, I hate my parents. But what he was saying is, I will not allow my mother and my brothers define what my mission is on this earth. Ain't happening, you know? Uh, This is good. By the way, if you're a parent in the room, as your kids get older, they need to be defining themselves more. And you need a little bit of conflict in your life with your children. It's actually a sign of health because it means they're beginning to know who they are and they're beginning to tell you, uh, this is where our boundaries stop in some ways. That's not a sign of unhealth. That's actually a sign of tremendous health. When your kids begin to say, you know what? I know you were hoping this for me, but this is what I'm saying, right? That's not a sign of the end of the world. That's a sign of like, oh, that person is growing up. Yes, you know, yes, you're going to get out of my basement. Yes, (laughs) or whatever it is. And at the same time, as they do that, as they do that, we're looking for ways to just to remain connected in what felt like separation. Does this make sense? Like Jesus is doing this literally all the time. Uh, There would be crowds in the middle of Jesus's meeting. They'd be like, we're going to make him king. And Jesus would be like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous example of growing up emotionally. So, what are we going to do today? Um, if you're on the band, come back up. We're gonna we're gonna sing another tune, and we're gonna we're just gonna pray one little dangerous prayer. <laughs> All prayers like this are very dangerous. We're, we're gonna pray that God would begin to take us on a journey of becoming emotionally mature. You know, uh, some of us in the room are in our 40s and we're still relating to our parents like we're 10. Like, like our mom and dad literally have all the control over us and we're in our 40s. I just wanna tell you, like one of the things that God wants to do is he, he wants you to define. More definition, staying connected. You know, uh, some of us in the room, uh, instead of like allowing our parents too much say in our life, uh, we've just completely cut them off. And God is saying, you know, less less definition, more connecting, you know? And 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 God is speaking to us in all of these ways. He wants to grow us up. He wants to grow us up. One of, one of the hopes here at the, at the vineyard is that we would be like Jesus uh, in the heart, uh, that we'd grow the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and that we would be emotionally mature in the way that Jesus is emotionally mature. That we wouldn't run away from conflict but we wouldn't just be burning people down. Uh, we wouldn't let outside forces tell us who we are, but that we'd have a sense of who we are from God and, and from, from what he's doing in our life. And at the same time, that we'd be connected to one another in a deep and meaningful way. Amen? So why don't we just stand up? We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing one more song. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.